How many, let me start off with a question this morning. How many people like laws? A show of hands. How many people like laws? Got a few, that's in, you're in the minority, apparently. All right. You, how many people have ever made up a song about laws? Anybody? Any, wow, we have a couple. I, okay, all right. Made a song. You like laws so much that you made a song, you know, something catchy like 55, 55, keep me alive, you know? Some IRS tax code songs. It's not usually something we do, right? I mean, laws aren't something we usually make up songs about. But this morning, I want to read you Psalm chapter 19. And Psalms are songs. They were set to music. Uh, They're poems. And in this, this particular Psalm was written by King David. And he actually sings or writes poetry about laws, about precepts, about rules and particularly about the laws, the rules, and the precepts of God. It's not something we normally do. It's probably not something you and I have ever done, but it is something David was very passionate about. And in this psalm, I'm going to read the entire psalm, but about uh, half to two-thirds of the way through, you'll hear him start praising and singing about the laws of God. Let me, uh, let me read it for you. Psalm chapter 19, listen to the word of the Lord, says this, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Verse 7, here's where it starts. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These words of David as he sings about the laws of God. David, if you don't know a lot of history, let me just give you a quick history of of kind of David, where he sits. He was a king in Israel um, back when Israel was a united nation in the Old Testament. If you read through that, David would have been the second king. It was Saul 
and then there was David, and then there was Solomon. David's interesting because we read in the Bible that if God has favorites, David was kind of God's favorite, at least of the kings. I mean, he says again and again, David's a man after my own heart. David is, you know, he says it again and again. He shows favor to David. And why? Well, really, David was his pick to be king. I mean, Saul was the people's king. They said, we want a king like everyone else. God said, no, you don't. And they said, yes, we do. We want a king like everyone else. God said, all right, I'll give you a king like everyone else. And he gave him Saul. Says that Saul was a man who was tall and good looking, respected. He was what a king should look like. He was the first king. The third king, Solomon, was David's son. So that kind of came about through the lineage of the throne. So the second king, David, was really the one that God alone picked. God alone searched his eyes throughout the nation and he said, Who would be the best king for my people? And he found in a field a shepherd boy tending his sheep, son of Jesse, not well known. And he said, that's the one I want to lead my people. Why? The Bible only gives us one reason. When Samuel went to anoint him, he said, don't look on his outward appearance. God looks on the heart. The only reason we're given is David's heart. David had a heart after God. It wasn't what he looked like on the outside. It wasn't what he accomplished. It was he had a heart after God and he led the nation well. He led them into victories in in the military. He led them following God's statutes. And he even left it to his son Solomon to build a great temple for God. And Solomon did that. But within two generations, David's grandson, who became king after Solomon, his name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam was a disaster as a king. In fact, it was under Rehoboam that Israel split into two countries. If you read through the Old Testament, maybe you've gotten confused. You're like, there was Israel, there was one, and then all of a sudden there was like two nations. That's because under Rehoboam, there was a civil war, and it split into two countries, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Under Rehoboam, there was, there, was, there was great unrest. In fact, within a generation of Rehoboam, there would be a civil war and 500,000 Israeli men were killed. What happened? David, a man after God's own heart, his grandson, the nation is torn apart. Never would it ascend to the way it was under David and Solomon. What happened? Part of that answer resides in Rehoboam's first days on the throne. Second Chronicles chapter 10 says this. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and all of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father, that would have been Solomon, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, come back to me in three days. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if you will be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders. Gave him, the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. 
And when Rehoboam did that, it was the beginning of the end for this great nation that God would soon have to judge because they would go their own ways. The Rehoboam, the, the advice the guys he grew up with was, no, don't show grace. Your father was hard. You tell them they don't even know what hard is. Your father scourged them with whips. You tell them you will scourge them with scorpions. You've got to be harsher. You've got to be strong. You've got to assert yourself. And so that's what he did. Took the advice of those he grew up with. And the people around him said, all right, we're going to go someplace else. We don't have to serve you. And the nation was split. Two generations. David to Rehoboam. From the peak of following God and success to the depths of missing God's will, disobeying God, and failure. What was the difference? Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1 says, After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he had become strong, he and all Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord. And I think that's the difference. The difference is that his grandfather, David, wrote songs about God's law. His grandfather, David, embraced the word of God. His grandfather, David, loved the Lord and his law and recognized the wisdom that was in it. And Rehoboam said, I don't need that. I'm going to just follow the advice of my friends. And it tore the nation apart. And we might look at Rehoboam and we say, how could he be so foolish? How could he be so uninformed, uneducated, uncaring? I mean, it's easy. Just follow what God says. You're going to be successful. If you don't, he's going to judge you. How could he be so foolish? And we look at the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament when it does it again and again. You disobey, God judges. You disobey, God judges. Just stop disobeying. But before we're so quick to judge Rehoboam, Let me change the question a little bit. How much time did you spend reading the Bible in 2013? How much time did you spend reading God's Word in 2013? Did you spend as much time reading God's Word as you spent reading the latest fictional thriller? Or the latest leadership book? Or the latest... uh, magazine that you like or novel or biography. You spend as much time reading the Bible as you did with your favorite website or blog or your favorite TV show or movie. Before we're so quick to judge Rehoboam for not embracing the words of God, I think we have to first look at our own lives and say, how much do we embrace and love the laws and word of God. How much do we fall? Before we're so quick to judge him for abandoning God's law, I think we first have to look at what did we do? What did you do with this book in 2013? Did it spend more time on the shelf than in front of you in the morning? Rehoboam Abandon the law of God. We can be quick to judge him, but at times we do the same thing. At times we run to all of our friends for advice. 
We run to the internet or we run to, you know, we got to Google it. We got to search it. We got to look at it. We go everywhere else but here. And that's what Rehoboam did. He went to the guys he grew up with. He went everywhere else but God's word. David was different. David recognized there was something in the law of God that gave life. Those four verses and uh, those four, four things in chapter nine, uh, Psalm chapter nineteen, verses seven and eight. He gives four things that are true about the ward, and four things the law of the ward, and four things it does. He says the law of the ward is perfect; it revives the soul. He said the law of the ward brings life. The law of the ward brings energy. The law, you know, it's not like laws that are on our books in this country. The law of the ward is the word of God, and so he says the word of God to me. It's life. It's life. You know, when I talk to someone who says, I'm going through a real dry spell. I'm going through a real hard time with my walk with the Lord. I'm just not hearing from him. My first question is usually, how much time are you spending listening to God's word? Because sometimes we go through dark, dry spells because we haven't been listening to God's word. You know, the Psalms, you're going through a dark time, maybe in your walk with the Lord, you're having trouble. Get into the Psalms because you can listen and you can talk with the Lord through David's words, who David went through these dark times, went through these difficult times, and he, he was able to trust in the Lord through them. And maybe that's where you just got to spend some time because the word, of the, the word of the Lord will revive your soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy and making the wise, making wise the simple. What this says is, I don't care what kind of education you had in this country or in this world. I don't care how many grades you finished. I don't care what, you know, you know how many initials you have after your name. Staying and spending time in this book will give you wisdom. Spending time in God's presence and listening to God's word will give you Wisdom. It doesn't matter how many grades you finished. Yesterday uh, morning, I was on this platform doing uh, the going home service for Ed Mason. And Ed was a guy who I'd sit down and he'd tell me all kinds of stories. But he would always tell me he didn't finish much school. But he would tell me the stories of times when he was working. Ed was an iron worker and a bridge builder and, and, uh, and uh, built buildings in downtown Boston. And he would say, he would tell me, he'd say, I'd be in the room with all these guys and they all have these impressive educations and degrees and all of these answers and and, and everything and he would just stand there because who's going to want to hear from him but eventually someone would ask him Ed what do you think and for some reason all these guys with all these degrees wanted to hear what Ed thought about it and they would listen to him and they would take his advice and he would say that he believed that it was God who gave him the wisdom in that moment. See, you spend time in God's word, it makes wise the simple. And some people, you might say, well, I don't know much. God can give you wisdom that's in this book. And you can astound those who think themselves wise. David said, I love the law of God. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. He said, joy. Maybe you've never read through the Bible. And you think, joy, how can joy be found in a book that's so, uh, you know, written so long ago? And, 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 and where's the joy in this book? And there's so much in it that's hard to read. Because when I come to this book, I read and I understand who I am and I understand who God is and I understand how much He loves me. 
And I read in this book and find out that God loves me, has forgiven me, that his grace is extended to me, and no matter what I'm going through, that brings joy. I can even read these parts in the Old Testament and read about the law of God and realize, Lord, I am such a sinner, and you still love me. And how do I not get joy from that? Lord, I fall so far short. I'm so unholy. And I just flip a few pages, and I find out God still loves me. David said, I love this word. I love the law. The commands of the word are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Give you vision. It'll help you see. You're walking through a difficult and dark time, and you say, I just need to see. The word of the Lord will help you see. The word of the Lord will help you see through the darkness and give you and help you take that next step. Psalm 119, which if you've never read Psalm 119, it happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, All of it is about the law of God. All of it is about the word of God. And that's where that statement is, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, that it will give you vision and it will give you light. And so David says, for all these reasons... I will embrace, I love, I will write songs about the word than law of God. Because David says it's more valuable to me, a few verses later, he says it's more valuable to me than gold, even the most precious gold. And if I were to ask you this morning, how much is the word of God worth to you? What's your price? If someone said, I'll offer you and I'll write you a blank check, how much is the Word of God worth to you? Not your Bible. Not your Bible. Because all the Bible is, is a book that contains God's words. So not your Bible. If someone said, I'm going to give you any price, anything you want, the deal is you just cannot read, listen to, have any part of God's word for the rest of your life. No computer, no internet, no on your phone, not on your tablet, not in a book, not listen to it in your car. What would be your price? We'd all say that, right? Many of us would say, no price. No matter what you offered me, I would never make that deal. Let me back up to my question again. How much time did you spend reading the Bible in 2013? Because we make that deal every day. We make that deal every day. We say, I'm too busy today. Got too much to do today. I've got to get this extra project done for work. I've got to get this extra project done. We make that deal every day. We trade our time with God's word for something else. Unless we set aside dedicated time, we're, tr- we're making that trade every day. And David said, no, no, it's more precious than the most precious gold. So maybe we just need a reset. I'm not here just to pound you and give you bad news. I know we all fall. None, probably there are very few of us in this room that said, I read the Bible last year as much as I expected or wanted to, myself included. I had higher goals than I achieved last year when it comes to reading and memorizing the Bible, and maybe that's you too. So maybe we need a reset. We need to hit reset, and we need to refresh. We're going into 2014, and look at what will be your goals when it comes to God's Word in 2014. And maybe it comes down to just starting with the fundamentals. There was a football coach, uh, Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, who used to start out his training camps 
with a very simple way. He'd, he'd take a football and he'd hold it out in front of the guys. And these are guys that have been playing football all their life. They were grown up playing football. They're playing since a kid. They've made it through college. They've made it to the NFL. They're in the big time. And he starts it out saying, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he walked them through the fundamental. He'd take them out on the field and he'd say, these are the out-of-bounds lines. This is the end zone. This is where you're supposed to get the football to. And he would walk these guys through. <clears throat> Why? Because they didn't know. Of course they knew. But it was about getting back to the fundamentals and remembering what's important. And sometimes maybe we just need to come and say, Church, this is a Bible. This is a Bible. Start with that. It, it's a Bible. It's broken up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the way it's divided up is because when Jesus comes, the New Testament starts. And the Old Covenant looks towards Jesus, and the New Covenant talks about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the beginning of the church after it. It's one book, but it has 66 books written by 40 authors over the period of 1,600 years. It was written by the hands of men, but it was inspired by the Spirit of God. It is the Bible. It is authoritative. It is informative. It is all we need as our rule for faith and conduct. It contains the history of creation. It contains the history of God's people in Israel. It contains the history of the start of the church. It's the Bible. It contains all of those things and everything that you will need to live the life that God has called you to live is in this book. God has not asked you to do anything that he has not first already explained how you're to do it in this book. It's the Bible. And sometimes we need to just get back to that basics because there are so many books and sermons and podcasts and TV shows and radio shows and everything else that we could do to be a part of the Bible. But this is the Bible. I remember when I first started seminary, going to the library for the first time. And I went to the library up at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and there were thousands and thousands and thousands of books there. Upstairs, downstairs, microfiche, books, books, uh, you know, old books, new books, thousands of books. And what amazed me was standing in there realizing I was in a theological library and realizing every one of these books in some way is here and ties back to this book. And I could spend my life in this library and ignore this book. And, it's, and, and getting back to the basics and getting back to the Bible is what's critical. And so if we're going to reset for 2014, let me just give you three suggestions as you're resetting your Bible reading for 2014. Three suggestions to reset your Bible reading. They happen to all start with M, so it's easier to remember maybe. Three suggestions to reset Bible reading to start uh, for 2014. And the first one is this. Recognize that time in God's Word is mandatory, not optional. Recognize that time in God's Word is mandatory, not optional. Sometimes we can think, well, you know, it'd be nice if I can get to it, but I've got to do everything else. But that's not the way, that's not the way my Lord lived. That's not the way Jesus lived. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, 
And I look at how he interacted with people. He used the Bible. When he was tempted by the devil, and all of us are at places in our lives where we are tempted, how do you deal with temptation? I don't know. I'll tell you how Jesus dealt with temptation. One way, he quoted Old Testament scriptures. He quoted God's word. He quoted God's word to the devil. When the devil tried to tempt him, turn these stones into bread, man does not live by bread alone quoted the Old Testament. He had those words. When he was going to correct false teachers and correct religious leaders that were teaching him properly, he used the Bible. He used the Old Testament scriptures. When he was teaching his disciples, when he would teach them, he used the Bible. He, used the old. he was Jesus. He didn't have to reference anyone. He's God. He can speak ex cathedra. The Pope can't, but Jesus can. He could say, this is God's word but he referenced back to the Old Testament scriptures and used God's word. How much more do we need to do that? It's not optional, it's mandatory. We've got to have those things in our life. It's mandatory. We've got to have those those times in our life. So make it a part of your everyday time. Make it a part of your everyday time. Maybe you've gone to a church in the past where you thought only the pastor or only the priest can read the Bible. The Bible is there for you. We live in a time where not only is it in your language, you have versions that you can read it in. You can read it on your phone, on your tablet, and you can listen to it in your car, on your iPod. You can have it anywhere you want. It's accessible to you. There are men and women who gave their lives throughout church history so you and I could have the Bible in a language that we can read and understand. Because there was a time when the church said, no, 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 common people shouldn't have the Bible. It's only for priests. It's only for, for, for religious officials. No, 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 we can't put the Bible in the hands in a common language. And there are people throughout church history who died to say, no, that's wrong. This is God's word and everybody should have access to it. And so it's, it's mandatory reading. It's, it's, for, it's, it's, it's something we should all have as a part of our every day. Because when you're in the Bible every day, what you do is you're able to get at the heart of God. You may go to the Bible and say, well, I didn't get an answer for today. It's not about an answer for today. It's about becoming more like Jesus so you'll have the answer when you need it. You get the heart of God, you won't have any trouble doing the will of God. When someone says to me, well, I want to know the will of God for my life. Here it is. It's in here. It's in here. Now you have to take the general principles of Scripture and apply them to your specific situation. And that's one of the things we do here every Sunday morning. We're trying to take general principles of Scripture apply them to our specific situations. But the answers are in here. God has laid out His will for you and how to live. He's given example after example of people following His Word. He's given example after example. You can look at Rehoboam of people who didn't follow his word. And you can look at it and see the life that God desires for you and for me to live. So it's mandatory. The second M is this. Meditate on the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. That last line of, of, of Psalm 19, David said, I, the meditations of my heart. I pray that they're pleasing to you. Do not let Eastern mysticism or some other religion steal this great word of meditation. 
Because I think sometimes we do. Sometimes we think, oh, meditation, that's something unchristian. No, David used the word. It's in the Bible a number of times. Meditation is something that's very Christian. Here's the difference. Eastern mysticism will ask you to empty yourself in order to meditate. Meditating on the scriptures is filling your mind with God's word and then meditating and thinking on that. It's not emptying yourself, it's filling yourself with God's word, filling yourself with God's message, and then thinking and turning it over and praying over it and listening to what God says. Spend time in 2014 meditating on God's word. So maybe you're in a Bible reading plan, and there's one in your bulletin, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Maybe you're in a Bible reading plan, and you're used to checking off every day. I had five chapters a day, six chapters, 20 minutes a day, check, 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 check. And that's great. You get through the Bible in a year, and everyone should do that. You know, at least every once in a while, you go through the Bible in a year. Um, you should, you should have, that's a great goal to do, or if you can't do it in a year, just do it longer. You know, you got to read through the whole Bible at some point. But also in the midst of that, don't be afraid to take time to meditate. So if you read 30 minutes, maybe you got 30 minutes in the morning set aside. Some days you're going to read that entire 30 minutes, but let me challenge you at least one or two days a week, read five minutes. Read five minutes. Read one chapter. Read it again, read it again, read it again, read one verse. Read it again, read it again, read it again, and then pray 25 minutes. Say, God, what do you, what do you want me to get out of this? What are you trying to say through this? Because sometimes we're just trying to cover so much ground that we don't even know what we read. So, so instead of reading the whole 30 minutes, read five, read 10 minutes, and just say, God, what do you want to speak to me? Use the SOAP method for journaling that we've talked about in the past. SOAP, S-O-A-P, right? Scripture, observation, application, prayer. And so have a journal. Have, always have a notepad and a pen when you're reading the Scriptures. Always expect to hear from God. Uh, so you have a journal or, or a notepad and a pen and have that beside you. And maybe you'll get one verse. Maybe a verse like, you know, come unto me, all you who are laden and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. And that's one to meditate on. And maybe you just write that at the top of the page. That's the scripture. And then you make your observations. God, what does it mean to be burdened? God, what are the burdens that I need to bring to you? God, where do I feel heavy laden? God, where am I carrying things that I shouldn't be carrying? Lord, what does rest look like? Do I ever really rest? Lord, what does rest look like? And you're just journaling about that. And then you write that prayer, God. Help me to live this out in my life today, in this place, in this life, with this person. But don't feel like we're checking the box off and, and miss that meditating, marinating, if you will, in God's Word. You know, last night, uh, my wife, uh, Wendy, made a great uh, dinner. She made this pulled pork dinner, and it was cooking in a crock pot all day. It was called uh, pulled pork cola, or cola pulled pork, or something like that. All I know is it involved a can of Pepsi and a lot of meat in a crock pot all day. And it marinated all day. I thought, what would it have been if she just threw that in the oven, turned it on high, put it on the table, and poured a can of Pepsi over it? I mean, it would not nearly, I can't imagine it would have been as tasty. But when it marinates over time, then the taste and the flavors permeate all parts of the meal. And I think that's a little bit what God calls us to do in his word, to marinate over time and have his word permeate every part of your life. Just just become a part of who you are. Just become a part of who you are, that his word would be a part of your life, to meditate on God's word. The last M is this. So it's mandatory, meditate on it. The last M is memorize. Memorize scripture. 
memorize scripture, hide it. I know you have it on your shelf. I know you got it on your iPhone. I know you got it on your tablet. I know you got it on your computer. I know you have access to it wherever you want, but how much of it is in your heart? How much of it is at the tip of your tongue? How much of it is there in the moment you need it at? It's not thy word I have hid on a shelf. It's thy word I have hid in my heart. So spend some time memorizing this year. Maybe if you're reading every day in a week, maybe you just pick one verse that week that spoke to you and you say, I'm going to memorize this verse this week. If you do that, at the end of the year, you've got 52 verses memorized. When's the last time you memorized 52 verses of Scripture? Or maybe you'll take a, a, a certain part, a psalm. If you've never memorized Psalm 23, for example, maybe you're, you've never memorized that. You say, you know, I want to memorize the 23rd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Or maybe there's another psalm that you say, I'm going to spend the whole month of February memorizing this particular psalm. You know, and have an accountability partner. I want you to quiz me on it. I want you to ask me once in a while. Memorize the Word of God. Put it, hide it in your heart. Because if you got it there, you know what? That means God is able to use it and speak to you. You find yourself in a hard situation. You find yourself getting anxious and God all of a sudden pulls that scripture up. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will be with you. And in that moment, when you've got that hidden in your heart, you'll be reminded. You'll be reminded. And so God used that scripture. And you say, well, I'm not a good memorizer. I don't memorize things well. I bet you can give me a line from your favorite movie. Or your favorite TV show. I bet you can remember the list of teachers when you went to school. You memorize things. I memorize things. We can remember stuff. So we choose to memorize the Word of God. Take a note card, put a reference on the front, write the verse on the back, put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, take it out every once in a while, flip it over. You get one, you pull it out the first time. Oh, I got that word wrong. Oh, I always forget that phrase. Oh, it's, it's the and not a. And you, but you'll get it. You'll get it. Even in Kathy, you're sitting here. You've got kids that memorize Scripture, quizzers. And remember, the kids will put us to shame with the Scriptures they memorized. Hide the Word of God in your heart. Hide the Word of God in your heart. Memorize it. Spend time putting it in. I encourage you to uh, do that in 2014. The big question is often this, though. Where do I start? Where do I start? If I'm going to get into the Word of God, where do I start? Uh, you know, how do I, where do I start? So I'm going to ask you to pull out this card that's in your bulletin this morning. It says Bible reading chart. And it's a little different than really I think any others. I give you one at the beginning of every year. This one's a little different. If you'll notice, there are no dates on it. There's no dates on it. All it is, it's a list of the books of the Bible and every single chapter of the Bible. Because this year, maybe it'll be the year that you're going to take this whole card and you're going to check off every chapter and you're going to read through the whole Bible and that'll be great. And you can do that with this card. But maybe it'll be the year you're going to spend an extended amount of time in a particular section or a particular part of the Bible. You know, we're going to start a series on the book of Mark the Sunday after Easter. And maybe you're going to spend that time that we're in the book of Mark. Maybe you'll read through the book of Mark 5, 10, 20 times while we're, while we're going through the book of Mark in that series. And we're going to try and put out a reading plan for you so you know what, what ones are coming up each Sunday and what we're, going to be, what we're going to be sharing. And so you can be thinking and praying about that as well. But this one, you can look at and spend different, uh, a lot of different time in different places. So... 
Some people may know this, but if you're new to, to reading the Bible or new to Christianity, you may not know the Bible. It is broken up into 66 different books, but those books are also organized by genre. If you read your Bible, they're organized uh, big picture chronologically, but a lot of ways by genre. So it's color-coded that way. So if you get a pen, pull out your pen, and I want, I want to just give you kind of an idea, give you a lay of, the lay of the land. Maybe you're new to reading scripture. Um, and let me just give you the quick lay of the land on this. If you've got a pen, these first, this green section here that you see, Genesis through Esther, you can write beside that, write beside that the word history. Genesis through Esther are historical books starting with Genesis, with the history of creation, the history of God's creation, and then you've got the history of the, the, uh, the family of Abraham, Jacob, uh, and, and uh, Isaac, and you've got that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you've got that family history, and you've got the beginning of the nation of Israel, and you've got that all within there, you've got the Exodus, you've got Moses leading them, You've got uh, the part I just talked about where Israel becomes two nations and all of that is in there historically. Some of the events you'll see are in there like Chronicles will have the same event that Kings has. Uh, They might include some different details but that's the history of the people of Israel from Genesis to Esther. Blue, if you get that blue section, if you get a pen, right beside that wisdom. That's the wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs are all wisdom literature. Those are all literature, the Proverbs. You understand the Proverbs. There's, you know, proverbial wisdom in, in there. And, and if, uh, if you're looking for something that, you know, I want application every day, just read a proverb every day. There's 31 of them. Whatever day of the month that is, just read that one. If you can live that out, that day you're doing pretty good. But just, uh, you know, so those are all wisdom. You go to the Psalms and you meditate on the law of God or who God is. You go to Job and you think about trials in life. You go to Ecclesiastes and you think about the meaning of life. You go to Song of Songs and you think about marriage. Song of Songs, if you got a pen, just write, parents, just write PG-13 right there. Just, just write that. Because what, what it says, what you think it says, is what it really says. So I just guaranteed every kid in here is going to go home and read Song of Songs. Um, so that's the wisdom literature. The purple part. The purple part put major prophets, major prophets. And the major prophets, the reason they're called major prophets is because they're different than the minor prophets. And the reason they're major is just because they're longer. That's, that's, that's all it is. They're longer. If you look through, they're pretty long books. Lamentations, you say, well, that one's only five chapters. Yes, but Lamentations was written by Jeremiah. So those go together. Jeremiah and Lamentations go together. So those are the major prophets. Flip it over. and the top of the page, you've got minor prophets. Hosea through Malachi are minor prophets. Not any less important, just shorter. Um, the, and the prophets were all, so the prophets were all speaking God's word to the people of Israel, usually saying, stop doing what you're doing. A lot of that. A lot of, if you don't stop doing it, this is what's going to happen. You're grieving the heart of God. A lot of that, a lot of prophetic stuff. Prophecy wasn't always uh, foretelling, future telling. In fact, the minority of a prophet's job was telling the future. That was, mu- that was the minority. The, the majority of a prophet's job was foretelling, preaching the word of God with boldness. And, and so that's what you have a lot of that. 
the next part, we have that space. That's the intertestamental period. If you want, you can write 400 years there because 400 years go between Malachi and Matthew. And then you've got the Gospels. Uh, that red part is the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ are in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because they cover a lot of the same territory. John is a little different. You're getting a lot, little, a lot of different aspects of Jesus' life and teaching in John that you won't find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They just, they're, they're writing to different audiences. They're, um, they're observing things from a different point of view. God inspired them to see uh, what they saw in a particular uh, aspect of it. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, you may read the same instance, but you realize, oh, Matthew included a detail that maybe Luke didn't. Part of the reason is because Matthew was writing to a different audience, and that detail, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, would have been very important to a Jewish audience, where Luke was writing to a Gentile audience, and that detail might not have been that important. So sometimes you'll see the same story, but some differences in them. So you get the Gospels. The next part is the Orange Acts. You can write church history or history of the church or beginning of the church. Acts is the start of the church. We spent a year going through and covering that. That's where the church started. You know, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, Acts covers the beginning of the church and the plantings all around the Roman world at that point. And then the next color, that mustard color, you can write the word epistles. Epistles, E-P-I-S-T-L-E-S. Or if you prefer, just write letters because that's all an epistle is. Letters. Letters from uh, church planters. Letters from the apostles to the churches. Romans through Philemon was written by Paul. So Paul wrote a large part of the New Testament. Romans through Philemon were letters from the Apostle Paul. Hebrews is an unknown author. A lot of scholars think it was probably Paul. The writing is similar, but he never identifies himself. And then the other ones are written um, by the ones that are named, James, Peter, John, and Jude. So those are letters to the churches. I'd encourage you as you're reading epistles, read it. It's a letter. Read it in one sitting. Romans and Corinthians are a little bit longer. Maybe you break it up into two sittings. But if you can, it's a letter. Read it in one sitting, just like you would read a letter that somebody said you sent you. Read it in one sitting and get the whole picture. And then finally, the bottom uh, color there, that greenish, yellowish revelation, uh, that's apocalyptic. Apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic, it's where we get the word apocalypse from. Apocalyptic literature is basically highly symbolic, prophetic literature is what it is. It's, it's prophetic, it's prophecy about the future in that sense, but it's highly symbolic. Um, there's a couple other places in Scripture that have apocalyptic genre writing. Ezekiel and Daniel both include some apocalyptic literature, a lot of symbolism and, uh, and prophecy about what's going to happen in the future. And so sometimes that's why you read Revelation and you say, I don't quite understand what's going on. There's a lot of symbolism that's going on there, and there's a lot of stuff that the author's talking about that hadn't happened yet at the time of the writing. So, um, so I encourage you to find a place to start. If you're a brand new Christian, you've never read the Bible, you're just starting out, you just came to Christ, I'd suggest you start with the book of Mark. It's, start with the book of Mark, one of the Gospels, and then jump down to Acts, read through the rest of the New Testament, then jump back maybe to one of the Gospels. Maybe your goal this year would just be to read through the New Testament. If you've never dove in reading the Bible, that's brand new to you, maybe your goal this year is just reading through the New Testament. If you've read the New Testament but never read the Old Testament, start with Genesis and then jump down to 1 Samuel. And then go back to Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers because you'll get bogged down there. 
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers is the Word of God. You need to read it. We need to read it. But you'll get bogged down there in your reading. I would encourage you to go to Genesis, jump to 1 Samuel, get into those historical books, do a little reading in Esther, Ruth, some of those places, um, and then go back. I heard some good advice about Leviticus because Leviticus is usually the, the Levitical wall. That's usually the place. Everyone starts out their reading plan great. Genesis is great. Exodus, all right, there's some numbers, but I get through it because there's a cool story about the Passover and the plagues and all that's in that Ten Commandments is in there. Then Genesis, we hit Leviticus. Like, what just happened? It was like someone just hit the pause button on the action and just inserted the IRS tax code in there. Because that's what it is. It was all these laws. Don't eat this, eat this. If you've got a scab and it looks like this, then you're supposed to do this. It's all those laws. It's, it's God's word. We can learn something from it. We can learn from it. Leviticus, the one thing, you know, one thing I think we can learn, you can learn that how holy God is how much of a holy God, and how much he cares about his people. Because remember, these people just came out of slavery for 400 years. So God says, I'm going to teach you how to live. That's what Leviticus was for. It's God's word, but it's hard to get through. So I heard some good advice on reading Leviticus this week. I read it in a book. Uh, this one woman recommended this. She said, one, pair it with Hebrews. Because if you read through Hebrews, it's going to reference a lot of the stuff you'll read in Leviticus. So pair it with Hebrews because that references a lot of stuff about atonement and sacrifice and, and things that you'll read in, in Leviticus. And then she said this advice that I thought was good. Read it in one sitting or two sittings at the most. Don't stretch Leviticus out over a month because you will get, it will be hard for you to continue through it a lot of times. Uh, Leviticus is, all of God's word is inspired. It's all equally inspired. I will say uh, it's not always equally as applicable to your particular situation where you are, right? Equally inspired, but it's, it's not always equally as applicable. Is there something you learn about God in Leviticus? Absolutely. Is it as easy to apply as, say, John 3.16? No, you don't see people holding up Leviticus 3.16 at the football game. It's, it's not there. Because if you go to Leviticus 3.16, it's not as easy to understand. You go to John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Yes, easy to understand, easy to apply. Got it. So, yes, it's God's word. We can learn from it. You should read it. Um, but this lady said, this, this lady said, but it may be kind of like eating those vegetables. That, that, you know, eat them and just, just do them one big swoop. Don't drag it out over the whole meal. Get into some of that other stuff. Please don't mistake. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Leviticus is God's word. It's harder to apply and understand to some of the other stuff. I don't want you to stop reading the Bible because you get stuck at one part of it. Okay, that's, that's, that's really what I'm saying. I don't want you to miss the parts you do understand because of the parts that are harder to understand. If we could all put into practice the parts we do understand, we'd be doing pretty good. Uh, well, let alone with the parts we don't understand. So that's why I'd suggest, you know, get started. And uh, if you're going to read through in a year, that's great. But if you get stuck in a spot and you're like in like Jeremiah and you're like halfway through and you're like, oh, I just don't feel like I'm making any progress, jump to an epistle. Knock a couple epistles out. Read them and be like, yes, this is, these are easy. These are propositional truths, 
right? Propositional truths we understand in our 21st century mindset. We get propositional truths a little easier than, um, than, uh, than story truths, which much of the Old Testament is, which I love. They, they were oral tradition, so much of their truths come through story. We're in New Testament, uh, Roman, uh, Greco-Roman mind writing is propositional truth. And so sometimes we gravitate towards that a little bit more. So if you need to jump back to that New Testament propositional truth... Um, then do that every once in a while and then jump back to the stories. But the other thing about this is, if you know someone who's like, oh, I, I just don't get it, I tried reading the Bible, I can't get into it, find a part that would be interesting to them. Especially if you've got kids. Find a part of God's word that is interesting to their place in life right now. Because there's lots, I, I love that God didn't communicate to us in just one genre. I love that God is so creative that there is history and wisdom and love letters and, le- and, and gospels and prophets and apocalyptic. I love that God has been so creative that he, he communicated to us about himself in so many different ways. So you got a kid that, you know, he's into, he's into battles and he's into fighting and all that stuff. You might say, did you know there was a lady in the Bible that killed a guy by driving a tent peg through the side of his head when he went to sleep? I mean, that's a pretty cool story, right? Do you know there's a guy in the Bible that got killed when he was sitting on the toilet? My kid's in the bathroom humor right now. That would gravi- he, would, he would gravitate to that one, right? I mean, there's this stuff in there that, that you look at that and you're like, wow, I didn't know that was in there. There's battles, there's fighting, there's heroes And God, through it all, communicated to us who he is. And that's the bottom line. Every story in the Bible has this bottom line. God is the hero. God is the hero. Regardless of what people did, God is the hero of every story. And so you're reading that story and you're asking, where is it that God's the hero in this story? What do I learn about God? Perhaps you learn about his grace and his mercy. Perhaps you learn about his judgment. Perhaps you learn about his love. Perhaps you learn about his wisdom. But you learn something about God from every passage of Scripture. So my challenge to you is this. How will 2014 be different than 2013 or better than 2000? Maybe 2013 was a great Bible reading year for you. How will you continue it? What will you add? If it wasn't such a great year, you you didn't get through as much as you wanted, how's 2014 going to be a time where you will set a time, that mandatory time in God's Word? Will you have to get up a little earlier? Will you have to cut something else out of the morning routine? Do you have to put it on your iPod? Do you have to, what what is it going to take to get it into you? So the Word of God is just not out there, but it's in you. What steps are you going to take? Are you going to meditate, memorize? What can you do this year? Because what I believe is that 2015 will be incredibly different because of your time in the Word in 2014 as you marinate in God's Word. As the worship team comes, we're going to close out our service. Let me just leave you with this final thought and illustration. Let me ask you a question. How many of you can find your way around your house in the dark? How many of you can find your way around your house in the dark? Most of us, right? I mean, most of you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can find my way. Sometimes it'll happen that 
you know, Wendy will be sleeping and the kids will be sleeping and I don't want to turn a light on, so I've got to walk around my house in the dark and barring the occasional matchbox car and Lego block, I can pretty much find my way around the house. I know where the furniture is, I know where the stairs are, I know where the entrances are, I know where the doorways are. I can find my way around the house. You know why I can find my way around the house in the dark? You know why you can find your way around the house in the dark? Because you've seen it in the light. Because you know what it looks like in the light. There will be times that you will walk through dark times in your walk, with, in your walk on this earth. You will have trials. You will have difficulties. And you will wonder, where do I go? What's the next step? Well, how do I find my way? And it will be the time you have spent in the light, the time you have spent in God's word, getting to know him in the light that will take you through those times of darkness and difficulty. You'll be able to find the next step. You'll be able to find the next thing and the next decision because you've spent time in God's word. Because you know his heart, you'll be able to do his will. So I encourage you, I challenge you this year to spend time in God's word. Spend time in his presence. Getting to know him in a greater way. Lord, we thank you. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for your word to us. We would know nothing about you did you not choose to reveal it to us first. We only know how loving and gracious. We only know about salvation through Jesus Christ. We only know about forgiveness of our sins. We only know about grace and mercy from you because you chose to reveal it to us. God, forgive us for allowing your word to sit on our shelf instead of hiding it in our heart. Forgive us for trading the knowledge of this world for the wisdom of our God. Lord, help us to embrace, Lord, your word this year. Help us to get it into us that our lives may better reflect the life of our Lord and the life that you have called us to live, Lord. God, I pray for that one, especially this morning, that this will be a brand new venture for. That they have never taken the time. They never thought they were worthy. They never thought they could. But this will be the first time they really get into reading your word. I ask that you would guide them by your Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit, you are the author of this word. And your Bible says that you live within us who believe. So I ask that you will guide them and lead them. Bring joy and excitement. Speak to them. Speak to us through your word this year. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.